Welcome to Not Your Enemy Speakout Sessions with hosts Shannon Reynolds of Visionary Creative Concepts and Branding and Jared L. White, the man behind the creative brand Tim K. Unlimited. Together, they are the co-creators of the Not Your Enemy Collections. The Not Your Enemy Speakout Sessions are a forum to continue conversations amongst Black artists, creatives, and cultivators. We are excited for you to join our conversation. This is not your enemy speak out sessions. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of Not Your Enemy Speak Out Sessions. It's your girl Shannon. I'm here with the one and only Mr. Jared White. Hello. Good morning, Shannon. How you feeling today? Good. How how are you? It's beautiful outside. I'm excited. Yeah, really beautiful. Spring is upon us. I'm excited for it. Cheers. So <laughs> we have another great episode today. We have a very special guest. I haven't seen you in a while, but we were pregnant at the same time. Yes. Um, we have um, Jocelyn Saylor. She is a mom, a therapist, a licensed clinical social worker, and a school social worker. And we just felt like it's time to have, have you on here. Welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited about this. I am too. We got lots of questions and lots to talk about. Yeah, we're so happy to have you here. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. So the first question we always ask everybody is, how has the current social climate impacted you? And that could be professionally, personally, however you want to tackle it. So there has definitely been highs and lows. I'll talk about the lows first, because I feel like it started with the lows once the pandemic hit last year um, and all of the social injustice that was just so visual on TV 24-7, specifically around George Floyd. So when the pandemic first hit, um, as, as you stated, I work in a school. So school closed, I was working from home. I had my two-year-old toddler. I started doing virtual therapy for my clients. And then the George Floyd situation happened. So I found myself glued to the TV, um, really honestly, very depressed, angry, sad. You know, I was crying some days. Like, I can't believe this is still happening. We're in 2020. Then I wasn't able to go anywhere. My husband actually contracted COVID. He was in the hospital. So it was a lot going on. Um, I struggled with um, activism, right? So I really wanted to kind of be on the front lines and protest and do all of those things. But I'm like, but what about COVID? And then my husband had gotten sick. He's fine now. But at the, that point in time, I was just like, I don't want to put myself, you know, I don't want to expose myself to the virus, but I also want to show some form of activism. So I was able to in some different ways. I, I feel like I found my own forms of activism. So the first way I would identify was through therapy. So I was able to hold space for people who were really experiencing the same things that I was experiencing and really um, having a safe haven for them to process everything that was going on. And then I was also asked to speak at a virtual event that was around um, mental health and the pandemic and different ways people could cope with stress. Mm -hmm. So I found that as like my way of activism and a way to use my voice to support others. Um, I would say some of the highs would be around just reflecting, like just reflecting kind of on like, what is my purpose? What's the legacy that I want to leave for my daughter, for my family? Um, how do I really want to impact others? Because I feel like I just kind of slowed down once the world shut down. 
because I wasn't running from here to here, going to the store, going to different events. You know, I was really sedentary. So it was a time to reflect. Um, I feel like I also was able to develop a stronger bond with my immediate family, um, my husband, my parents, some of my aunts and uncles and cousins. We were all really connected virtually. So I think um, stronger bond within my family was developed as well. Wow. Hey. That's so, well, I'm, I'm loving this to hear that stronger bond was a part of that because that is a, definitely a helpful part in moving you along that process of stress. Yeah. How did you deal with the stress? Was it really that bond that helped out? Because sometimes we don't ask therapists, you know, how they deal with stress themselves. Right. You know, just think that they, you know, just come along and uh, they, they can help fix our issues and their problems. But we never ask, like, how are you doing, you know, and how do you handle stress? So one way I've always handled stress is through journaling. Since I was about 10 years old, I always had a diary, which then turned into journals as I got older, especially journals that have a lot of prompts in them. I really enjoy that. One, because I can always look back at my own growth, even from weeks back to months back to years back, especially if you save the journals, which I do. Um, so that was one way. Um, exercising. So I know Shannon through boot camp. I used to be a member. Um, I, I stopped going, but I still do like high intensity interval training through YouTube, different workouts. So that's been helpful. And honestly, I got my own therapist. Mm. It, it was yeah. necessary. And I, at first, honestly, I was very shy to say that. Right. Well, how can I promote therapy and then I'm not even taking care of my own mental health? And the ironic thing about the pandemic is that the therapist and the client are really experiencing the same thing. None uh -huh. of us have ever gone through a pandemic. We're all in these high stress situations. So I said, you know what, I'm going to take care of my own mental health and I'm going to go to a therapist. And that has been extremely helpful. And, and I also kind of get to see what it's like to be on the other side of the couch, too. So right. that's helped me major. Wow. Like, that's crazy because um, talking to my therapist, like, therapist, I had a really, I don't want to say it wasn't a negative experience because she kind of broke it down to me. She was like, we, we just didn't jive. We weren't perfect together. So my sec second therapist, I was telling her everything I went through. And she was like, you know, some people, I think when they when they start to work with a therapist for the first time, she's like, we're human. She's like, they, she could have had a bad day. <laughs> like, you never know from the perspective. She's like, we are human we are dealing with some of the same, same things you're doing, but yet we have to sit and listen. And I think sometimes you're unaware because you're like, I'm having a mental breakdown or, you know, anxiety. And I'm like, like really putting you on a pedestal as a therapist of like, okay, you're here to fix my problems, but you all are human. So that kind of, when she said it to me, I'm like, okay. So now when I talk to like, Hey girl, like, you know, I mean, it's just a different mm -hmm. dynamic because like you said, it's, you know, my uh, therapist is a black woman. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of things black women going through. So like when I check in, it's just like with her, it's different now because I understand it's like, yes, you're my therapist, but you're also like a human being and you you have your own stuff. So it's, it's interesting to hear you say that because I don't think a lot of people like think about that. Like y'all people, y'all go through stuff yeah. too. Right. Exactly. And another way I thought about it too is like, let's take doctors, for instance, let's take an orthopedic surgeon. If he needed a knee replacement, he's not doing it on himself. He's going to go right. see another doctor. But right. there's this stigma around mental health. So like I said, I was very shy to say I have my own therapist for a while, but it's like, you know, I'm free now. I, I feel okay with telling people I'm a therapist and I have my own therapist because I may be very skilled in helping other people, but sometimes it's hard to do those things on yourself. Right. Has right. that helped help you with new tricks, not new tricks, but new techniques that you can use or new practices that you can use with, with your clients? 
It has. Yeah. Because I've learned some other coping skills through my own therapy that I may suggest to a client and say, I've actually tried these things. You should try it too. Give us an example. Um, one thing, let's see. I would say um, something as simple as guided meditation. Um, so it was something that I never really did before. I had tried it here and there. Um, and then I talked about it in therapy. So my therapist suggested it. So I, I tried some different guided meditations and the key was to find a voice that I could connect with. Mm. So if you go on YouTube and you just pick some random meditations, honestly, you'll generally hear like, it sounds like a white man or a white woman. And I couldn't connect with the voice until I found the specific um, meditation, meditation mixtape by Shella Marie. And she's a black woman. She's like in the wellness space. And I could really connect with her voice because I'm like, okay, this sounds like somebody that looks like me. She's speaking my language. And I was really able to utilize her guided meditations to really help center me and de-stress. Thank so you now so I much. tell people about it. <laughs> Thank you so much for that because uh, um, meditation mixtape was it? Yep, meditation okay, makes it, awesome. and you can just yeah. put that in YouTube. See, that's the thing. So, and I've talked about this on several podcast episodes right now. The the meditation for me is what I struggle with the most. And my like me and my therapist talk about this a lot. So the journaling has helped, mm-hmm. but it's very hard yeah. for me to quiet my head, my mm-hmm. mind. It does not want to shut off. So like even taking. So I think that it's very important that you said to find someone you identify like the voice will identify because I'm listening to some white man telling me to be quiet like and meditate my mind like that's not mm-mm. right and the waters that doesn't help me so mm-hmm. <laughs> I try but that's a that's a good uh a start but like when someone starts to feel anxious um or stressed like what would be the first like your recommendation the first thing they should do mm-hmm. so what so, yeah the Go first ahead, thing I would say would be to stop, stop and sit down, take a moment for yourself and then try to recognize your triggers. So what has brought me to this space right now? You know, was it something that my significant other said? Um, Is it something that's going on in my job? Does it have to do with my kids? Is it something within my friendships? Try to identify what that thing is. Then you wanna figure out how can I move past this feeling And then how can I identify three priorities that are going to make me feel less stressed? So when I talk about priorities, I'm talking about the to-do list. So a lot of times, because I'm a woman, I'm just going to use women. We feel overwhelmed because we have so many things on our plate. Many of us suffer from the superwoman syndrome. We're trying to be everything to everybody. We got to bring the kids to basketball practice. We got to cook dinner, do laundry, go to work, be the best friend and listen to their problems. Maybe take care of our aging parents. Like all these different things can cause stress. So prioritize. What are the three main things I need to do on my to-do list so that I'm feeling less stressed? And then what is something I can do in the moment to really like de-stress myself? And there's something that everybody can do in the moment. And I call it self-care for the senses. So that's when we engage our five senses. And you can do this pretty much anywhere. So we have sight, sound, taste. Um, I'm thinking about it too. Like what? <laughs> feel, touch. Feel. Touch. And Hearing. They know the five senses. We can yes, do okay. I know the five senses, right? <laughs> Please fight, I don't forget the when I said this. <laughs> but so 
so sound, right? So let's listen to something that's relaxing. So maybe if you're a spiritual person, you listen to some gospel music, maybe you're into nature sounds um, or some kind of calming music. So that would be for your sound, um, for smell. So if you're at home or maybe you're in your office, if you can light a candle or do like an oil diffuser with your favorite scents to enhance that sense of smell. Um, for taste, have a warm beverage, maybe make yourself some tea, coffee, hot chocolate, or maybe a ice cold glass of water may be helpful. So really engaging our five senses in the moment can help ground us and kind of move past that stressful situation or just feel a little less stressed. So it's pretty much just bringing yourself down. Like we were saying, like when you're, and I never thought about it in that particular mindset of that you're up here. Mm -hmm. You got to figure out a way to get you. Okay, that's a good yep. way of putting it. Hashtag ground yourself. Yes. Yes. Ground yourself <laughs> and engage your five senses. Literally. And like, I'm laughing because you talked about the superwoman. Like, that is a thing. You lift a lot of stuff. I was like, I got to do that today. And like, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like it's um, it's a constant thing, thing for Black women in particular. I don't want to say women. Let me just caveat that um but I'm a black woman so I'm speaking for myself right. to have the laundry list of things to do and still have goals and dreams and sure. desires and things for yourself that sometimes you feel selfish or you're like you're overwhelmed because you're like I need to do this but I really mm -hmm. want to do this or I really want to take a nap how, <laughs> like how do you get like or what are some resources I guess in that standpoint from like you wanting to do everything, but you really, you really need to take a nap. You really need to lay down. Jared will tell you, I need to do that a lot. And I don't. Well, funny you say that. I just, and now this is just this week. So this is not something I've been doing for years. I literally have been taking naps as simple as it sounds. Um, so when I get off of work, so my daughter is in preschool, it's like preschool slash daycare. Yeah. Um, so when I get off of work, all this week because work has been stressful. I've come home and taken a 35 minute nap. And when I tell you, I literally feel like a brand new person. It, we just need to rest. Yeah, We need to rest. Like taking a nap is okay. Taking a day off is okay. You know, utilize your personal or your sick days to have a mental health day where you just do nothing. Um, I would also say outsourcing. So I did try, I did try um, a house cleaner for a few weeks. I tried it. I felt like they didn't clean my house as well as I do. <laughs> so I, I did stop the service, but I will say the few times they cleaned, I did feel less stressed. Like, okay, that's one thing off of my to-do list. Right. I've actually considered, and I haven't done this yet, I've actually looked into like a wash and fold service because I can never keep up the laundry. I'm going to keep it 100. I got <laughs> yeah. 3,000 loads in the bedroom yep. right now. Yep. And I looked it up like, hmm, it's really not that expensive. Maybe this is something I'll try to take something off of my plate. Mm -hmm. Or if you're in a relationship, you have a significant other, maybe ask them, hey, do you mind doing a couple of loads this week? Outsourcing, asking for help taking naps. And I also use my schedule. Like I have a planner and I really try to schedule out my day really well, including when I'm going to take a break, the next time I'm going to take a day off, um, th things of that nature. But scheduling my time and really outsourcing and asking for help have been helpful. Those drop-off services are a game changer. I, I no longer spend half my Saturday in the laundromat because of it. You do? <laughs> yeah. Yes. I gotta look into this because I walk can't that, walk these laundry bags to that um, laundry mat real quick because <laughs> no one has time for that. Uh, thank you for sharing those tips because a lot of them we overlook um, and tend to 
think that we should be doing all. How do you suggest someone get over the shame of outsourcing someone to clean their houses or, you know, that drop off service? Because there's a lot of people who feel as though they should just be piling on so much work because they can. They, sh- they should be doing it. Mm-hmm. So, like, well, what advice would you give someone to be like, you know what, get over that? it's you know it's tough I think it's really a change in mindset so you know once again I'm I'm just speaking for black women because I'm a black woman so I'm going off of my own experience but I know you know kind of in my family and my circle the women have always done everything right so they've always done the cooking they've always done the cleaning and the taking care of the kids and and putting everyone else before them. So it's like something that we pass down from generations. And then I know when I told my mom, I'm gonna get a cleaning service. She was like, what? You don't need no cleaning service. And they also don't take into consideration that being a woman and a mom in 2021 is totally different from being a woman and a mom in the 80s or the 70s or even the 90s. You know, we have a lot more on our plate and I feel like there's a lot more, influence because of social media you know we're comparing ourselves to what this person is doing so that's where like all that shame and guilt come from so changing your mindset not being afraid to do something different than what your mom your auntie or your sister has done because to be honest some of my caucasian friends it doesn't seem like they have that same mindset and many of them have people that clean their house or they drop their clothes off somewhere and they outsource without the guilt. But I think that's not passed down in their generations like it is in the African-American community. Um, so just don't be afraid to step out of your comfort zone. Don't be afraid of what your family or friends might think of you because you know, you're know you outsourcing and you're taking things off your plate. Because at the end of the day, you're gonna feel better. You're gonna feel less stressed and you'll be taking care of yourself in a better way. And at the end of the day, that friends and family are not washing your damn clothes anyway. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Right. Oh, you just preached the whole sermon. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, what are, I guess, some myths or um, about stress and anxiety? Like, I have, I've heard a major one because someone told me when I was like, no, I'm having anxiety attacks. They're like, mm-hmm. I don't understand why you're so anxious about it. It's like really nothing. It's like if I could control what I was anxious about, don't you think I would? But what are some like myths and and misnomers about stress and anxiety? Um, I think the first one is that if my stress or anxiety is not having a huge impact on my life, it's not a big deal. So those like initial symptoms are really like a smoke signal. So lack of sleep, stomach aches, migraines, Um, heart palpitations here and there, those are kind of like a smoke signal that can lead to a bigger issue if you don't address it in the moment. And those bigger issues can be other health conditions such as like heart disease and high blood pressure. Um, So when we're feeling all of those initial symptoms, it's important that we start either doing some things differently or maybe seeking mental health therapy or maybe talking to our doctor so that we can prevent um, those other health issues that can come down the line and are more severe. So that would be the first kind of like myth. Um, another one is like, oh, just do some deep breathing. Uh-huh. Deep breathing don't work for everybody. It works for some people, but it doesn't work for everyone. So if it doesn't work for you, just stop doing it, please. Stop trying to do it. You yep. know, there's other coping skills that you can develop or find. Um, another one in the Black community, especially, is just pray it away. Girl, just pray about it. 
And right. I, I am a believer. I believe in God, but you can, you can have God. You can also go to therapy. There's nothing wrong with the two intersecting. There are many therapists that are like spiritual therapists. So they will use, you know, some, some biblical and spiritual methods in addition to like clinical ways for people to address their stress and anxiety. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, that, that last one throws me off every single time. It's like, well, yes, I'm praying, but I also like, I also need some added stuff. So I'm going to go yeah. to therapy too. Right. And Jesus will be with me there. He's there with me. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still shocked that that's still a considered a, a healing remedy for like, no, you need a little bit more yeah. <laughs> help mm-hmm. than that. Um, how Shannon one time helped me address uh, actual, remember that time I was on the, the, the yeah. I was on the phone with you and I was think I was having actual anxiety or some yeah. type of attack. Yeah. And I thought it was gas. And she was like, no, Jared, I think. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. And that was the first time that I had, you know, something that was diagnosed that I can like, okay, I think I know what's happening here. How do we help our friends diagnose these issues or even cope with them because they're living in their own lives and, you know, we can only you, you can't force someone to do anything. You can only offer some assistance. But when you do see a friend in a stressful moment and they may not be as knowledgeable to do to take handle it themselves, like how do you suggest that we help those friends out? Um, the first thing I would say is really hold space for them and just listen. A lot of times people will go to their friends about a stressful situation and they'll respond with, oh, well, it's not that bad. Somebody has it worse than you. You're going to be okay. You know, it's almost like they don't even validate what you're going through. And that really just pissed the other person off. It's not helpful. Um, so just listening and saying, you know, I'm, I'm here for you, even suggesting, hey, have you ever thought maybe talking to your doctor about this? Have you ever thought maybe seeking therapy might help this? Um, you know, offering that, but not saying you, you need to go to therapy. Mm. <laughs> just offer it and hold space, I think really is the best thing. And not saying those negative statements like, well, you got a good life. You got a good job. What you worried about? You know, I hear that a lot. Um, from the clients that I work with, that that's how their family or their friends respond to them. And that's never helpful. Yes. Yes. And also to, to piggyback off of that, I think a lot of, and again, I'm, I'm generalizing because it's my personal experience, but there's a, a fear of judgment or you already have been judged. So say, you know, I do say to a friend, like, I'm really, I'm really struggling. Right. And then next week we get an argument and you throw my trauma, my issues. And then I'm like, oh, dang, like, do you think I'm crazy? You know what I mean? When you're, when you then start to push that back on somebody, I think the judgment and, and the harshness of some things can really, it like, it makes someone internalize and question themselves even more. And that's not helpful. Yeah. That's detrimental. And that's kind of a red flag in the friendship. If you're yeah, that back at me after like I shared this with you in confidence then you're probably someone I shouldn't really be dealing with mm. it's, it's hard enough for people to admit when there may be kind of sort of a problem because I find sometimes you you peep these symptoms but you're not educated enough to even know yourself well what am I feeling so but to even have that courage to even take that first step to talk to anybody is uh, a step in the right direction so to have it thrown back in you I can I know how devastating that could be to somebody that that, that's not your friend (laughs) yeah and also you know people go through their own things and 
probably need therapy too. So it's like yeah. a thing of deflecting on your own. See, I've already talked through this in therapy, guys, but <laughs> can you tell? And um, yeah, so I just think that the judgment thing is something very, um, and some people aren't even aware that they're coming across like that. But it, I think that that also could be something that is a, a big mistake on family and friends to do. Absolutely. Oh, yes. So sorry, I literally got digress because I'm reflecting on my growth and whole <laughs> <all> statement. <laughs> What are like, um, when you first began, I guess, your path to, to mental health or even going to therapy, like what are some big mistakes? I know mine were sitting down and like thinking they were going to, y'all were going to fix all my issues. Um, but that's just my <laughs> learning thing. Are there any other big mistakes that you could do once you start sitting down with a therapist for the first time? Um, so that was going to be my first one. Many people think that the therapist has this magic wand. You're going to go to a couple sessions. You're going to feel amazing. And that's not really it. Um, when you go into therapy, the therapist's job is really to help you identify your strengths, recognize your re resilience, and help you step into your own power. So you really have all of the answers to your issues, but the therapist has a different skill set where they can maybe ask questions to make you reflect differently or kind of share some wisdom um, and offer different coping skills to help you kind of get to the place that you're trying to be in. The other thing is that therapy takes work. Amen. A lot of self-work in not even just in the 45 minutes or the one hour session, but it's using those skills outside of the session is where the real work is done. So yes, going to therapy is amazing. Yes, your therapist is going to help you get to the next level, but you have to be willing to do the work. And the work is not easy. And it may take a couple of months. It may take a couple of years of therapy, depending on how ready you are to do the work and what your issues are. So it's not like an overnight process. It's not a magic wand. You got to do the work. It's it's a long process, right? This is not a lot of, once again, people think you go in a, half, a, a month and you're like, I'm, I'm solved. That's a lifelong commitment, you would say, right? Well, maybe not lifelong. So it, it depends on everybody. So some people have experienced a major serious trauma in their life, and that may take some years. And then there's other people who go to therapy, and I call it like the small T trauma. So, so it's not necessarily a lifetime commitment. It just depends on what your experience has been. So if you have one of those big treatments, big T traumas. I think of that as like sexual abuse, some type of abuse or neglect in your childhood, maybe domestic violence, substance abuse. Those can be a longer, a longer amount of time that you're in therapy. And then there's people that just really just need a safe space to air out what's on their mind or like the smaller T traumas where, you know, it's some serious stuff, but you can probably move past it a little bit quicker. So it really just depends on the person. Some people are in therapy for six months. Some people are in therapy for like three to four years. It really just depends on the person and what they've experienced. Now you're calling it a small, a tree problem or a smaller. Small T. Small T. Oh, sorry, small T trauma. So small like a lowercase T. Yes. Yeah, oh, okay. Got it. Got it. Like, so it's the big T. This is the yes. big Trump. Got it. Oh, interesting. <laughs> Learning something new every day. <laughs> um, <laughs> I have also a question because again, like when I first went to my first therapist, like I had never gone. Mm -hmm. It was a thing, you know, in the black community, it's like, yeah, you know, don't be, don't be sharing your business with somebody, you know, like that kind of thing. So I was very much a novice and like, I don't know what to expect. Mm 
mm-hmm. um, when I go to therapy. And so I didn't know how I was supposed to feel. And yeah. the first couple of sessions, I was like, I feel judged. Like, I don't like this. So what are some feelings that you should be looking for when you know that you're, you know, because therapist and it's a match. Mm-hmm. So what, what should you feel when you're comfortable with a therapist? So first, what I will first say, even before you get to the therapy session, is you want to think about who would I feel comfortable talking to? Do I want someone that looks like me? Do I want a male? Do I want a female? Do I want them older? Do I want them my age? Do I want them younger? Like, who do you actually see yourself talking to? And once you can kind of visualize that, that's when you want to go on some different directories like Psychology Today, there's therapy for Black girls, there's therapy for Black men, there's Latinx therapy, where it's a directory of different therapists that are in your area. Look at their picture, look at their website, see what they specialize in, kind of get a vibe as to what kind of therapist they are from um, what's online. Then you make that consultation call. So when you call, you know, you might be a little bit nervous, but if they sound pretty warm and welcoming, like, yes, I've been doing this for a while, let's set up an appointment. And you go to that appointment, you wanna feel like you can openly speak. You don't wanna feel judged. If you're feeling judged, then that's, I think a red flag that that's probably not a good fit for you. you, you know, you may feel nervous if it's your very first time in therapy and that's okay because, you know, you don't really know what to expect, but I would just say your expectation should be a warm environment, someone that you feel is non-judgmental um, and can possibly help you solve your problems. So you can also go in and have kind of a list of questions you want to ask your therapist. Like, have you ever worked with someone who has anxiety or depression? And how did you help those people get through it? And how long were they in therapy? And what are some coping skills that you utilize? Or where did you go to school? You know, you can ask them all type of different questions to kind of get a feel for who they are as a therapist. And that should hopefully help you feel a little bit more comfortable. Um, But I would say pretty much all of those things. But if you're feeling judged, that's a red flag. Yeah, that's a left. Yeah, that's definitely supposed to be a safe space. Is that a a common practice for every um, session is to have specific questions and to, sometimes I feel like, am I controlling the session? Am I being guiding the session? Should I just be open to certain dialogues or is it okay to come there with, I need to talk about these three things this time? No, you should definitely come with your own agenda because it's really your time. So in the beginning, honestly, therapists generally lead the session because they're trying to get more information about you. You know, they're trying to learn your history. That's like the assessment phase. Um, They want to know about your childhood experiences, you know, your stressors, all of those different things. So in the beginning, yes, the therapist for the first maybe two to three sessions is kind of leading it because they're trying to do an assessment and figure out, okay, what are our, what are, what are our treatment goals going to be? But then from there on out, you should definitely come with your own agenda. Um, you know, in between your sessions, if different things come up, I always have asked my clients to, you know, write some things down in your journal as things come up for you in between this session and the last session. And then when we meet our next session, you can go ahead and say, hey, I I experienced this. I noticed this about myself. And then we can kind of dig deeper into it during the session. Because this is all about you. This is about you and your healing. So if you're feeling like your therapist is always leading and directing the session and it's been a little while, you may want to have a conversation with them about that. You can even say, hey, I noticed you kind of leading the session, but I have some things I want to talk about. I want to really focus on my own healing. So how can we kind of switch up this dynamic? Bring it up to them. Gotcha. 
so first of all I'm obsessed with your Instagram so I just want to give that some love with like some of your reels are so perfect um and we we talked about lightly that you are a social worker in the school system mm-hmm. so for the younger generation mm-hmm. I can't imagine what what they're thinking at this point in time like how do you tailor it differently than if you're working with an adult client and um what are some resources that parents of of younger uh children could could use um so I'm in a high school so they're they're a little bit more mature and what I like about high school kids is you can really just talk to them yeah um I worked in elementary for quite some time and it's a little bit different you have to use a lot of like play therapy and you're kind of almost like a guessing game because they can't exactly communicate all these different things to you um, but in high school, they'll they'll pretty much tell you flat out. I mean, if you have a good relationship with them, they'll come in like, Miss, let me put you on to this situation. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> so that's why I love the high school kids. So um, I don't, I mean, I changed my style up just a little bit. But for the most part, the way that I talk to my teenagers is the way that I work with um, like the women that I work with in my practice, um, very open and honest. I do use a lot of um, like YouTube and social media to engage with them. Um, I use like a lot of music videos. So last year I was doing a girls group and they were, I believe 11th and 12th graders and they always wanted to talk about relationship issues and they really didn't understand what a healthy relationship was. So I used um, the Eve music video, Love is Blind. Mm -hmm. to talk about, you know, um, abuse in relationships, domestic violence, and how it can really end up to be, you can really end up dead in a situation. And it sparked a lot of conversation. So I like to use um, the media to really open up conversations and dialogue with my teenagers, even TikToks. Like there's some TikToks I found. I created a couple of TikToks and I'm like, oh, look what I did. And they're like, okay, miss. You know, and then they get, they get all into it and they want to talk more about, um, different topics. So I I love the teenagers for sure. Oh, and you said resources. So resources for parents. Um, I do not have any off the top of my head. Actually, there's a, I think it's called the Child Mind Institute. You Uh can Google that and they have a lot of free trainings and webinars around um, parenting, um, like parenting through a temp through a pandemic or parenting teens or children with just different tips on how to engage with your kids. How have the children been during the pandemic? Like, I'm sure they are dealing with it, but does it seem, um, what's the right word, positive? Do you, do you see them uh, transi- transitioning out of this in a positive way? Unfortunately, no. Um, a lot of loneliness, especially for the children who, so, you know, last March schools closed. And then this year, at least in Hartford school opened, but parents had the choice of sending their kid in person or continuing virtual learning. And a lot of the parents continued virtual learning because they were nervous about the virus. So Mm -hmm. those kids have experienced a lot of depression, a lot of isolation because they're not getting those regular peer interactions. It's difficult to learn on a computer screen all day. So they're really not engaging as well academically. Some of them have felt like they just want to give up because they're tired of logging on. Um, They're not getting their questions answered when they're in the virtual classroom. There's a lot of hiccups with internet access, depending on where they live, if they have a hotspot, if the internet gets turned off. So there's, there's a lot of barriers to learning 
they're feeling isolated. Um, and a lot of the children that I work with already were struggling with some form of depression or anxiety or, or trauma in their childhood. So this just kind of compounded it. Mm. And then a lot of people lost their jobs. So we have like for a lot of my juniors and seniors, they're, they've been out working, trying to help support their family, and then they're not logging on to classes. So a lot of effects. <sighs> it's a lot. It's so sad. It's, it's really sad how um, we are not, are the children have been affected by this in so many different ways. And, you know, how do we move them forward from here is a really, um, I feel like it's a debate or a question that hasn't really been answered, you know, yeah. We're so hyped about these simplest checks, but these damn kids are so far behind where they should be. And like you mentioned, a lot of them have have had um, poor experiences prior to the pandemic, prior to um, schools being closed, that mm-hmm. what happens to them after the fact. Um, we definitely have to keep an eye on the children. Y'all. Absolutely. And I believe in April, I think most of the kids are going to be coming back from the way the president is talking and from yeah. you know, some rumors I've heard. Yeah. I think it's going to be fully we're back in school for the last couple of months. And I just keep saying we have to prepare because many yeah. of the kids yeah. have had structure for the yeah. last year. Yeah. So they're going to be excited to see their friends, but they're not going to be engaged in learning. There's going to be a lot of issues. And uh, I... I struggle to figure out how are we going to address all of the issues. I feel like we need more counselors, social workers, mm-hmm. and therapists in the school. Yeah. We have a team of five people, but I don't think that's enough. I know where you. I know what school area you work in, and that's not enough. It's not. That's not, not enough. Um, and just in general, I think that while everyone's eager to get you know students back in school, people are on both sides of the fence with it. I think it's really important that, like you said, you think of stuff on the long run, like there's been a lack of structure, even like at home, I've witnessed high schoolers and middle schoolers. I'm like, y'all be taking naps in the middle of the day. And that's not a shady thing, but it's like, they are so unengaged that I can't imagine for them sitting in school or going back to school for eight hours, how that's going to look, how that's going to look for teachers, how that's going to look for the dynamics of the schools. Like, I think there's a lot of unanswered questions that I don't even know if they're going to get answered by April, let alone this school year. So, and we'll be, and this will be a ripple effect for years to come. Again. Yeah. Yeah. For yeah. sure. For sure. So we're going to have to think of something. I feel like the first thing will be more funding. Yeah. To get more support. Yeah. Well, that's going to happen, but that's the start. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Jocelyn, I mean, I'm so excited that you came on today because Again, I think that the conversation in general was needed. Um, where can people find you, connect with you? So I just recently started a new Instagram page. It is at School Social Work Solutions. And that is the platform where mental health, education, and wellness intersect. And we talk about all types of different things in regards to school social work, counseling, parent engagement, um, the education system and how to take care of ourselves so people can find me there. And if you're in the Massachusetts or Connecticut area and you are looking for therapy services, um, my family has a private practice, which is called the practice of Arthur E. Cash and Associates. Arthur is my dad. Um, and our website is www.thepracticeofartherecash.com. We have several different therapists. We definitely have openings. So you can also find me there as well. 
amazing. Another amazing episode of the Not Your Enemy Speak Out sessions. We thank you guys for joining today. Remember to follow us on Not Your Enemy brand on Instagram and uh, like, share, subscribe on YouTube. Also the Not Your Enemy brand. Until next time, guys. See you later. Jocelyn, thank you so much for coming on with us. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Not Your Enemy Speak Out Sessions. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at VisionaryCCB and who is Tim K. Interested in purchasing apparel? Visit VisionaryCCBStore.com. Until next time, step out, step in, and step up.